0: Welcome to The Well. As always, I'm super, super grateful to have you here. My name is Dylan Bowman, and this week we're talking to the great Stephanie Howe. I'm sure Stephanie will need no introduction for most of the people listening to this episode, She's obviously been a top ultra runner for a decade plus at this point and has achieved some truly remarkable things in her career, including winning the legendary Western States 100 mile endurance run, which she did in 2014, among many, many other amazing accolades and accomplishments over the years. She's a teammate of mine at the North Face and a longtime friend of Harmony and I, and through my my friendship and relationship with her, uh, I've known for a while that last year, 2019, was a year from hell for her, as it was for me in many ways. She endured an injury and a surgery to her Achilles tendon, as well as a divorce in her personal life and all the obvious psychological and emotional pain associated with those experiences. So we spend much of this episode discussing how this really terrible year of her life impacted her and, and how she feels she's emerged from the experience, a, a stronger and more resilient version of herself. And I think honestly, you will all really appreciate her openness in talking about this difficult and personal subject matter. Um, and then, you know, leaving the negativity of 2019 in the past, uh, Stephanie also very recently announced that she's pregnant expecting a baby boy in the coming months. And so we also spend a lot of time here talking about motherhood and what she's looking forward to in this incredibly exciting new chapter of her life. And uh, just to be honest with all you, we don't really talk a lot about running at least uh, at least directly in this episode and uh, while I'd love to eventually go deep with Stephanie on her amazing career at some point, we both agreed that it would be more interesting and more valuable to you all to instead uh, focus this conversation on the real stuff on the stuff that's really core to to who we are as people and then how that, obviously impacts who we are as athletes as well. So while much of this conversation is about dealing with hard times, um, rest assured, this episode is is an important one and a good one, and it's also actually filled with really good vibes um, and, and a lot of good lessons as well, um, not only for being better runners, but um, for being better people as well. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this. Please welcome Stephanie Howe. Okay, I'm joined here by my dear friend and teammate, Stephanie Howe. Steph, it's so good to see you. How are things in in beautiful Marin County, California?
1: They're great. Yeah, it's good to see you as well. We've kind of switched uh, physical locations.
0: I, I was just going to say the exact same thing. It wasn't long ago that that I lived in Marin and you lived in Oregon and, and now we've, uh, we've traded places and I'm glad to see both of us seemingly fitting in well in our, in our new environments. And uh, you know, maybe we'll get around to talking more about that later in the conversation. But of course, everybody who is going to be listening to this, will likely already have a good idea of like who you are and what you've accomplished in your career. You're obviously like one of the best athletes of our generation, you and I coming up in the sport at roughly the same time. We've been longtime friends uh, and and teammates in the North Face and have known each other for for a while. Um, But I wanna kind of use this as an opportunity to allow people to sort of get to know you on a deeper level, allow me to get to know you on a deeper level, what's contributed to your success in what ways have you struggled, and of course, talk about some of the exciting things that you have uh, coming up here in the very, very near future. Um, But to start, you know, one of the things that you and I have never spoken about that I'm really genuinely curious about, and I don't think I've really heard you talk about in much detail on on other podcasts as a a big fan of yours and a consumer of Stephanie Howe uh, interviews is uh is your history as a as a Nordic skier and um you know it's a, a sport that I peripherally uh you know am, am a fan of and that I watch it during the Olympics and love it and find the athletes to be super impressive but it seems to me that that was kind of your first love as an athlete so why don't you start there like when when did Nordic skiing kind of become uh your athletic fo- focus and, and what are your best memories from that part of your life.
1: Yeah, skiing skiing has been a big part of my life. Growing up in Minnesota, there's a lot of snow in the winter. And so we did a lot of skiing as a family just because, you know, that's what you do. You get out get outside when it's when there's snow on the ground and you cross-country ski. I didn't become a competitive ski racer until I was a sophomore in high school and to take one step backwards, my biggest sport was actually softball, which few people know. (laughs) And when I tell people they're like, what? Um, I wanted to be a softball player in college and go to Arizona state. I was a pitcher spent most of my summers and then fall, spring, winter training and playing softball. And It wasn't until I was in high school that I kind of gravitated towards things I was better at, including Uh. endurance sports. And skiing was just something that appealed to me because we skied a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know much about racing. And so it was like a really steep learning curve, but I fell instantly in love with it. And part of that was, you know, I was pretty good at endurance sports and I wasn't really into running. I was good at it, but I thought runners were neurotic (laughs) and skiing. I mean, skiers are neurotic too, but it's a really different sport, a different culture. And I just fell in love with it and um, had some good success for a late, I guess, comer to the sport and ended up getting a scholarship to Northern Michigan University up in the UP of Michigan, which is like a skier's paradise. Uh, The Lake Superior keeps it about 28 degrees Fahrenheit and it snows like every day in the winter. So that was like, for me, a dream come true. And I I raced there and just loved skiing. I wanted to be a skier so badly, but Mm -hmm. I was like a runner inside, just dying to come out. Like I was much better at running and I just Uh, fought it for so many years, but I'm very thankful for the skiing background. It taught me a lot just about using my body in different ways. You know, we did a lot of strength training. We um, really emphasized rest and recovery. My coach was a Norwegian. And so I kind of learned like those, you know, really good endurance training principles from a young age that have probably contributed to some of my success as a runner.
0: Wow, that's that's so fascinating. Yeah, just like thinking about when you are a Nordic skier, and that's what you're so serious about. Of course, you naturally have to take long extended breaks from it it just because of the fact that it doesn't snow 12 months out of the year right. and, and you you know so one of the things that you know people who follow you will know is that you are like a super versatile athlete in the winter you're you're nordic skiing you're alpine skiing you're running still you ride your bike a lot and uh yeah so it's it's interesting to hear that was uh Sort of maybe something that was instilled in you just by virtue of the fact that um you grew up as as a Nordic skier, and it's funny to hear like the u p being sort of like the mecca of uh of Nordic skiing in the of same Nordic way skiing, that like yeah. Chamonix <laughs> is like the the epicenter of of trail and and mountain running that's that's really cool so like. It was, it seems that it was sort of like your love. Did you have a sort of like Olympic ambitions uh, as a skier? And at what point did running sort of supersede skiing as your athletic priority?
1: Yeah. So in high school, I said I um, had success pretty quickly. By the time I was a senior, I won our state meet, which in Minnesota was a pretty big deal. It was like a close race. It's not mm. like I just blew away competition, but I won and it was incredible. And so I had my sights set on post-collegiate scene. But when I got into college, I kind of found myself um, maybe not thriving as much as some of the other skiers. I just I'm really good. I'm just a better runner. And a lot mm. of that doesn't translate into ski performance because it's more of a power endurance sport. So I kind of realized this um, partially my junior and senior year of college. I, my coach was also the cross-country running coach. And so he had all of the skiers run the cross-country running races in the fall. And we didn't train for running. We just ski trained, and then we did these races on the weekends. And I was a two-time All-American in um, it was Division Two, but you know, without really training for running. So I was like, okay, you know, you're probably <laughs> you're probably better off in running. Yeah. And I never made NCAA's in skiing, and so. the the big transition came when I moved from Michigan to Montana. I went to um, grad school at Montana State in Bozeman and the trail running there is amazing. And I just fell in love with it. And in grad school, I didn't really have time to ski. So it was like, okay, this is convenient and started dabbling in trail races. And I'm like, I love this sport.
0: Uh, yeah, it's uh it's quite addictive uh as soon as you get a taste as we've both learned th- through experience. And anyway, it's really fun for me to learn more about like, you know, this whole Nordic thing, because again, when we see like our North Face teammates, Morgan Aratola and, and Erica Flowers and, and like the guys who I can't even remember their names off the top of my head, but watching the Mount Marathon race in Alaska, yes. you know, <laughs> over the last five years and seeing the Nordic guys just crush it. They're just like such amazing and impressive athletes. Is there anything like else from that part of your career that, um, you know, whether it's like training or lifestyle related that you think is carried over to your success as a, as a trail and ultra runner?
1: Yeah, I think it made me a much more well-rounded athlete. Um, I think of myself as like a multi-sport athlete and partially because in Nordic skiing, as you um, mentioned, you can't ski in the winter or in the summer. And so you you do a lot of other activities. So I I like to dabble in almost every endurance sport there is. And that's pretty common among Nordic skiers. Mm -hmm. And I just think also in college, you kind of miss that culture, like the, you know, the culture you, you hear of with like um, females and running and overdoing it and burnout and eating disorders. You have some of that in skiing, but not really. It's more mm. about strength and you know, it's just a different, it's a smaller niche sport. And so I kind of escaped a lot of that. And I think it's really instilled a good balance between training and rest and my um, personal life as well. And I think, you know, that really has been beneficial for me. And I see that in a lot of other skiers who transition to running, they tend to you know they maybe aren't as fast from the get go, but they tend to have longer careers because when they get injured, they're okay—not mm-hmm. running for several months or you know like doing something else because it's in their their repertoire already.
0: That's cool. Well, well, thanks for allowing me to sort of geek out on that with you oh, for no, a little. I while. love it. But it's sort of speaking about women in running and women in sport in general, it strikes me that you were a very competitive, sporty person from the time that you were a little girl. And obviously in the U S obvious little boys and, you know, are much more encouraged, I think, to be sporty and competitive and athletic. Do you have any, um, sort of role models, uh, female sporting role models that you looked up to as a kid, um, or where do you think your sort of competitive drive came from, from a young age?
1: Yeah, I I think I was always the kid who was outside playing. Like if my parents couldn't find me, they would look outside and I would just be running around. I, I loved the feeling of pushing my body. Like it was just kind of weird. Like I would run just because it felt good or like go jump on the trampoline as hard as I could because I loved how it felt. <laughs> <laughs> and probably my earliest like sports role models were softball players. Like I remember Dot Richardson, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is like way back in the day. And then this is kind of cool. There was a local running hero and her name was Kim Krause. She was from Forest Lake, Minnesota, where I grew up. And she was just like this running phenom in high school and set all these records. And so I just really looked up to her and um, I became like a similar, I think, uh, figure when I got into high school, but it was really cool. I got Mm. to meet her once and she just, you know, brought the level of female running. She, she ran in the eighties and that was kind of like, she was the first female runner to like, you know, break these barriers and set records and show that women could be good in endurance sports. So she really stands out to me from a young age.
0: It's so cool to have those like local sporting heroes. And and now you know, I'm sure there's another little girl in Minnesota who's like, oh, Stephanie Howe won Western <laughs> States. She's amazing, you know? And so, uh, yeah, you can sort of pay it forward to the next generation as well, which is I'm sure Absolutely. something that, that you'll uh, get some some happiness, some satisfaction from. But so, you know, Steph, you and I have talked, you know, before you know, sort of sitting down for this conversation about what direction we wanted to take it in a way that we thought would provide value for the listeners. And in a way that, you know, would allow us to sort of, again, get to know you a little bit better. And of course that means that we're going to not have a lot of time to touch on a lot of the career highlights that you've had. Um, Of course, you know, you, like I said, you've been one of the best, you know, of our generation in the sport and you still have, uh, many good years in front of you. Um, but, you know, in order to sort of um, not have this podcast last, you know, th- several hours, I want to <laughs> kind of focus on on a couple of different things and, and focus more on the human side of the sport and of being an athlete. And this is always sort of the thing that I find most interesting. And what I want to do mostly with this podcast is, to talk more about the human side of things and go a little bit deeper. I mean, that's why the podcast is called the well is because we Mm want to go a little bit deeper and access that sort of like core source of inspiration and motivation and who are we and how are we changed? How are we better? How do we suck sometimes? And, you know, knowing you personally, I know that last year was sort of an inundation of, life changes and and life challenges as it was for me, I should say. I mean, I was a complete mess for all of 2019 <laughs> and, you know, I wanted to kind of use this as an opportunity to, you know, maybe allow you to get some of that stuff off of your chest um, publicly to whatever degree you're comfortable. So, mm-hmm. you know, with that long preamble, you know, in in an effort to sort of get, get real, what, uh, what was it about last year that was so challenging for you? And, um, you know, like, how did it feel going through it at the time?
1: Yeah, um, 2019 was the year from hell. And it, it was such a necessary step for me. So when I look back, it's it's not like I shudder to think about it. But I'm I'm so glad to be through that because I learned so much. And it was challenging all around, like mentally, physically, spiritually. I felt like I was just broken over and over again in so many different ways. And um I mean it really shook me to the core. <laughs> and you know, I I really you have to have those low moments to to get to some of the good moments. So yeah, I think, you know, it it really started with um having some Achilles issues early in the year. So that like probably December, January of 2019, I was starting to feel my Achilles, which was really a bummer because I had had surgery already and it was just like this again. And so that was like, you know, a physical blow of like, okay, well, you're just gonna have to like work through this. And I I tried to take the winter off of running, but it was just, you know, that's kind of rough when you can't really run or walk or ski. And so I struggled with that and finally broke down in April. This was funny. I was at the Boston Marathon with Cliff Bar, and I wasn't running, I was just there. And on my flight home, I was like so fed up with just how much I'd been hurting physically. So I bought Wi Fi on the plane and emailed the surgeon who I'd seen in Sweden booked an appointment, booked plane tickets to Sweden, all by the time I landed in on the West Coast. So um, that was kind of like the kickoff. And at the time, I was like, okay, I'll get the surgery and then life will get better. I want to run UTMB. Um, And then kind of coinciding with that, I was having, you know, dealing with a relationship that was failing. And it wasn't like a new thing that Just came up that year, but it was kind of like getting to the end of the wire and Mm. I just knew things were going to have to change, but it's, it's such a big thing to process and, you know, you, you don't want to give up on something. And so I'm dealing with trying to heal my Achilles and trying to, you know, work with sponsors, which, you know, is stressful. Like we have great sponsors, but you still feel an obligation to like be an athlete. So how do I, how do I fulfill this role that I'm supposed to do when I'm like on crutches? And then not having support at home just was like, you know the the worst of both worlds. It was like mm. when I needed when I needed someone to hold me up, I was just left to fall flat on my face. And so, oh. I did a lot of growing up um, in the spring, and then I as we got into summer, started running again and went over to Chamonix, which I like to do every summer. The <laughs> summer has July. been weird. <laughs> um, Next year's going to be great. Uh, yeah, I went over in July, early July, and. Like really just kind of hold up there. Like I ran in the mountains and spent time with friends. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was so therapeutic for me. And I'm just gonna say like Rory and Fernanda are just like I just leaned on the two of them and <laughs> they yeah. saw me cry every yeah. day. And um, you know, it was it was really it was really I guess I don't want to say like start when the healing began, because I was still kind of in limbo with my relationship, but it really was when I accepted it and realized that, okay, life is going to be okay. You have people Hmm. that love you. You have friends who are going to support you no matter what. And so I was able to actually throw in a race there and do pretty well. Hmm. And I ran the CCC. Came back and then or you
0: you finished fourth. And I finished fourth, <laughs> yeah, super which was solid, strong run.
1: And you know, the result doesn't even matter to me. I just had mm. so much fun. Mm. I I told. Um, we shared Jason Coop as a coach and I yep. told him before the run cuz he was kind of like, "Eh, you know, maybe you should do OCC." <laughs> and I was like, "You know what? I just want to treat myself to a full day in oh, the mountains." Oh, wow. Cool. And I did, and it was great. And it was kind of like the positive boost I needed that along with the support of my friends, my family to come back to the US and face, you know, the mm. inevitable. So I mean, most people are well aware at this point, but I, I ended up getting divorced, um, in like, you know, leading into 2020 kind of the end of 2019. And it, it, even though it was ended up being something that was important for me, it was hard. And I, I mean, that's probably the deepest, darkest hole I've ever been in and, um, it's it's good. It's cool looking back now because I had so many people step in and just reach out with a message or come over and just sit with me. And it just meant the world to me. And that's really how I was able to heal and get past it. Um, 2019 didn't quite end with like that. I had to get another surgery um, <laughs> on my foot, same foot. This yeah. time I just, I went for the full blown, like just what had to happen. So yeah. it, you know, it, just thinking back that year was just awful and yeah. I've come around from it, but I don't ever want to have anything like that again. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for sharing. And, and I can so relate, you know, in so many different ways and just like, feeling that you can't catch a break. And also the, what you describe of like, you know, sometimes as it pertains to like our performance and specifically your, your CCC, even if you don't have, you know, maybe the ideal training going into it, when you have a lot of good friends nearby and you feel supported and you mentioned being with, uh, our friends and teammates, Rory Bozio and Fernanda Maciel, and them helping you through what was a really difficult situation in your life and just enjoying time in a beautiful place with people who, you know, you know, love you and support you. Even without great training, it can turn into like, potentially a super positive and and strong performance like you had at CCC. Um, I'm curious, though, like, you know, when we think about our lives, you know, as athletes, right? Like, both like your prefer your personal life and your athletic life were sort of crumbling at the same yeah. time, right? How did that impact your like feeling of yourself? And like, how did that impact sort of like your identity of who Stephanie Howe was, you know, you didn't have this mm-hmm. anchoring of your relationship that you'd had for a long time. And at the same time, you You didn't have the anchoring of like, "Hey, I'm a great athlete capable of doing these amazing things. How did it change the way you were thinking about yourself, and how did that hurt? <laughs> you know because that's yeah. sort of how i felt
1: it It's the worst because you know you you just feel like you have nothing, and yeah i I mean, I was in a deep, dark hole, and Uh, you know, I, because you, the thing that makes you, you know, at least when you have like one or the other, you can kind of lean on that or just like put more energy and focus. But when both crumble at the same time, you're kind of left with like, wow, like Mm -hmm. who am I? Right why am I here? (laughs) Um, I I will say I I had a good therapist that I saw on a regular basis who really helped me talk through things. I did a lot of work with her um, and it was painful, but it was so necessary. Hmm. And I just think leaning into people that love you at that time. And, you know, a a lot of times we're kind of ashamed to, to share that we're weak. Like I definitely am. I put up a tough front of like, you know, I've got, I've got everything together and I'm always going to be okay. But I just kind of, I didn't have the capacity to have that front. And so I, I crumbled in front of people Mm -hmm. and I think just feeling that vulnerability allowed me to to let these people help me to bring me up, and that included teammates. You saw me yep. like this, <laughs> yep. um, my family, my friends, um, even strangers I didn't know. Like you know, I've just break down, and people can be really kind. Yeah. And um, so I think just gradually I dug myself out of that hole and you know, it wasn't my first injury, thankfully. So I had some tools I had developed from the past of just knowing like, okay, the body does heal, you adapt, and things will get better. So I had, you know, as I was able to start healing, start doing things like move my body a bit or just trust that it would get better. But yeah, it's it's a rough thing to have that happen
0: yeah, totally. and you know the the reason I bring it up is because, you know, for me, I, I see this these two things so intertwined of like, you know, in my experience with my like you know personal meltdown last year, it was like the the sort of like sadness that I was feeling or like the kind of depression for lack of a better word preceded my health issues, right? And so yeah. now like looking back at it with some perspective, I really don't think that's a coincidence. And and just to, you know, provide some context, like I really didn't have experience being injured as somebody who's been an athlete my whole life. I've just always been really lucky with my health. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, didn't have those tools that you just talked about of like learning from previous injuries. And so for me, like, I had this like sadness, and then like, All of a sudden, my body just started failing, like for the first time in my life, of course, like, you get older, you start to maybe not recover as well, or you might be more susceptible to injuries. But like, for me, it really didn't feel like a, um, like a coincidence, like my toxic Mm -hmm. internal environment like maybe left me more vulnerable to these physical injuries. Does that resonate with you at all? Or like, have you ever noticed a yeah. pattern with that in your own experience as an athlete?
1: Absolutely. Where, yeah. yeah. I think it's all connected. Even if it's not a direct correlation, the the body's connected, mind, body, mm-hmm. um, health, wellness. It's, you can't really separate them out. And I am convinced that not healing from my injuries had something to do with the state that I was in for Mm -hmm. many years. And, and I think especially when it comes to illness, you know, when, when you're, when you're an athlete and you're pushing your body that hard, and then you have all of these other issues, like, you know, your body's going to have to fight really hard to stay healthy. And so, yeah, I, I think that's something we overlook as runners, but it's, you know, stress can really do a lot to us.
0: Yeah, no, totally. And and it kind of goes back to what we were saying about having that sort of like, um, yeah, in addition to being really physically fit, paying attention to this internal life as it pertains to our performance too, right? Because even if we're seemingly super fit, but like our personal life is a mess, most of the time... The performance is not going to be commensurate with that level of fitness, right? It's when we have both those things in balance, both the physical fitness and the emotional fitness to where the performance ends up being something that we're super proud of. And anyway, I think it's just a a really interesting thing, you know, to to sort of talk about and, and explore. Because it's again sort of been something that I really learned um, this past year, and you and I sort of identifying together of having the year from hell in, in yeah. 2019. So you mentioned um, you know things like therapy and and talking with your friends and family. Are there any other things that you felt uh, helped you to navigate such a hard situation and and come out on the other side?
1: Yeah, I, I kind of uh, leaned into other things I was interested in. Like, you know, I, I love running and being an athlete, but I've been fortunate to carve out a career as well. And so doing other things that really make me feel good, um, and that for me is helping people or doing things that are like protective for the environment or um, talking about climate change they're not the same as running, but they do make me feel good. So I own a nutrition business and work with people. And I will say, I looked forward to those calls of like talking through with, um, the the people that I work with about how to better their nutrition to make them feel better. So just focusing on some of the other things that mattered to me was really helpful. And that's advice I would give to any runner. I was given this advice from Cami Semek when I first got into running. She was like, you know, always like don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Keep some sort of career or interest on the side because you're gonna need it. And I'm so thankful for that. So mm-hmm. I just think it's it's important to have something else that isn't really running related that you can kind of use your, your brain to, to focus on.
0: Yeah, no, totally. And you know, when you only identify as an athlete, then when you deal with injury and as you said, when you're unable to, to perform to the level that you expect from yourself, or as you mentioned before, to the level that you perceive your sponsors expect from you as well, then you, yeah, you really do struggle to see yourself as anything but a failure, right? Because you're like, well, I'm an athlete and I can't perform that. Therefore I'm a bad athlete. I'm a failure. And I think, um, you know, I think that's an incredibly like good piece of advice and um, just having these, these interests outside of the sport being multidimensional. And you seem to be somebody who's always got um, a few projects going on and, yeah. and super high overachiever and sometimes too many. <laughs> yeah. But did did that come, I mean, you mentioned Cami giving you that advice, but I'm sure you had to learn the hard way previously in your life. Did, did, was there any, any ever a time where that lesson was really poignant for you of like, you know, you're emphasizing this part of your personality too much, maybe to the detriment of your, your, uh, internal emotional health.
1: Yeah. I, I learned that lesson a few times. I think the first time was the transition from high school to college, honestly, because in my high school, I was a standout athlete and, um, you know, I was like one of I, the, I was voted most athletic in my, my high school class and won all these awards at the regional and state level in Minnesota. And, you know, you get used to that acknowledgement of you as an athlete. And then I went to college and I was like, suddenly like a little fish in a big pond. And, you know, that success or that, um, recognition wasn't really there. And so it was like, oh, wow. You know, like, Mm. I don't, I suddenly don't have, I'm not like Stephanie, the superstar. I'm just Stephanie, the, the athlete who's on the team, (laughs) but, um, you know, trying her best. And so I think I learned at that point, like that, uh, education was actually really important to me. And I had a, a great advisor who kind of, it helped me figure out my way in academics, um, but yeah, that was like a kind of a the first like blow, if you will, of like, oh wow, I'm not like the biggest athlete there is, and I've I've learned it again, time and time again as my um, in my career as an ultra runner of just like getting a little bit too caught up in it, and and that's hard. I think you know we you, you see success and ultra running is getting bigger you know, our sponsors have expectations or deliverables and you find yourself spending a lot of time and energy and thought into like what other people perceive of you. And I I've learned because I have been injured or I've had setbacks that, Oh, okay. This is a really good reminder to not take yourself too seriously. And I I can like tell that to myself and be like, okay, Stephanie, this is ultra running. Nobody really cares. Like, just be you be happy. And like, you know, if you can't fulfill what you think other people expect of you, it's okay. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a good lesson. And I think, uh, you know, this whole subject matter, I think is really important to, to talk about and something that, yeah, whether you're like a aspiring professional athlete or you're sort of a weekend warrior, just sort of, um, kind of average mid middle of the packer or whatever, you know, everybody deals with their own, you know, um, perceptions of what they they feel like other people think about them or how they think about themselves and oftentimes how we think about ourselves is related very closely to how we perceive how other people think about us too and um and uh you know maintaining that sort of multi-dimensional um uh, or at least versatile, you know, being a well-rounded person, as you've talked about, is a, is a good way to to make sure you don't fall out of balance in any of those directions. So last question on on this stuff before we transition to lots of the exciting, really <laughs> much happier things that you have going on in your life and coming up here in the future. How do you view the Stephanie of today as different or better stronger than the stephanie who went through this last year with with some perspective what's some of the value that you see in it personally
1: yeah i think I've learned to be even more adaptable to wherever I am in my current situation, because there are going to be ups and downs. I think it's, it's taught me that you can't control situations. Like, you know, you can't control what's happening to your body. You can't control some of the external factors or influencers, uh, both, you know, if they're material or people in your life, and you just have to meet yourself where you're at and, I think I learned that even if things are like rock bottom, like they do get better or they change. You're not going to be in that state forever. And I think that's given me a lot of resiliency as an athlete and just knowing like, you know, it, things are going to change. And even when things are tough, like they're going to get better. And that translates into ultra running pretty great. I mean, we've learned that like <laughs> how many times I can't think of a race where I haven't had a patch like that of just like, this is the most awful thing ever. Um, and yeah. like I, you just keep going. So yeah, I think that that's a lesson that was really honed into me. Um, and just also like being humble about, you know, like, or just recognizing people have things going on. Like, even though on the surface, everything can look okay, everyone is struggling with, with something. And being kind, I think is, not that this is a lesson I had to learn, but I think it's made me more aware that kindness is such an important quality to, to carry with you and treat mm-hmm. other people with.
0: It's beautiful. Well, Steph, thanks so much for, for sharing all that stuff and for being open and, and honest. Um, I think, you know, great champions like yourself being able to kind of open up and, and show that it comes at a cost sometimes or that, um, you know, with great victories and, and medals and belt buckles and things, <laughs> you, you also have, you know, years that just absolutely suck, you know, and yeah. That, um, yeah you know, we, you you also deal with sort of failure and self-doubt and and all those things that, Mm -hmm. that plague everybody. And you talk about, you know, having, you know, having something outside of running that, that identifies you. And I think that's a perfect transition to going to happier subject matter now, because one of the things that you have coming up that is going to define you to some degree as a person is, is motherhood. And you recently <laughs> announced announced on Instagram that you're expecting a, a, a baby here coming up very soon. <clears throat> I wanted to just ask, you know, how are you thinking about motherhood at this point? What, what makes you excited and maybe what makes you uh, a little nervous about this new amazing chapter of your life?
1: Yeah, I, I'm so excited. And I this was a secret I kept for a long time because it's, I mean, it's my first time being pregnant yeah. and I am... 36 and so that's like a geriatric pregnancy that's actually the term they use You're I can't a geriatric. believe they
0: use that term yeah.
1: um, <laughs> they gotta so, come
0: up with something else
1: I know so I mean I'm at higher risk for miscarriage and issues so I waited mm-hmm. to announce it or you know to to tell people other than my, my friends and family um, until recently and it's just been really exciting to have it be just like open news I can share because it's a really big change and mm-hmm. I'm excited and nervous and scared and like all the emotions. Um, January 3rd is, is my due date and it's, it's creeping up. So I see it as, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we, we do hard things and I see it as a challenge that's going to push my limits, um, make me be even more adaptable in my life and just be incredibly rewarding. So, I've always wanted to be a mom and it's it's really cool to like have this have it be happening to me right now. Um I, I mean it's it's a lot to take in and a lot of things I have no idea what to expect. <laughs> but um there's been so many um great runners who I know who have reached out and just given me good advice um on just you know what to expect with the the physical changes and then you know post baby like what to expect at that point. And yeah. um you know I'm not the first person going through this and trying to be an active athlete and navigate all of it. And if, this is a really great time to be uh an athlete and a mom because it's just kind of blown up lately. Um i mean for unfortunate reasons but all of us are benefiting from that wave of just like empowering female mom athletes mm-hmm. and it's really cool
0: yeah it is really cool and it's something i wanted to talk about as well obviously we have great examples in 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 our sport in particular and across other sports of mothers being able to perform at a high level you know after giving birth um how are you thinking about motherhood in relationship to being an athlete and um and your career as your your future as an athlete?
1: Um <laughs> sorry, say, my Soren, yeah. come on, bud.
0: Um
1: <laughs> you know, I I see this not as like a black and white thing of like being an athlete or being a mom. I see so much overlap. Obviously, it's gonna change, you know it's going to change a lot of my priorities, but I see it as like an exciting change. And I think, you know, I'm going to have the ability to to kind of make the best of both worlds. I've got a really supportive partner who understands that, yeah, I've still got some race goals. And in some ways it'll even force that, like not taking myself too seriously or not putting too many too much focus on running because I've got this little person to care, to yeah. care for. And I just see it as such a great such a great blend, um, of, of just being a female athlete and, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's going to change, but I'm still planning on, um, Chamonix 2022. (laughs) I mean, as long as everything gets better with uh, our current situation, I mean, I want to be over there with a little baby and just be playing in the mountains and, you know, if I can do a race, that's great. If I can't, I, I just love to be in the mountains. And so for me, I see it as like, I might not be able to race, you know, to the same level. We'll see. Maybe I will be able to, that might take a while, but I'm also just going to be happy to like be out there and be sharing or showing this, this world that I love. Um, my
0: little boy. Yeah. Oh, that's so freaking awesome, man. <laughs> I'm so, so happy for you guys. So, Thanks. you yeah. know, like when you when you think about that, you know, obviously, yeah, your life will change, your priorities will change. Um, and you'd mentioned that you talked to some of the other women who've been through similar things and thinking about our sport, you know, like Magda Boulay and Sally McRae, Liza Howard. I mean, there's so many examples of, of women who have had... Multi, uh, at least one child and sometimes multiple children mm-hmm. who still train compete super high level what's some of the advice that you've received that you found valuable understanding that you know you're you're not a mom quite yet but what what are some of the things that stick out to you
1: yeah i think and this is going to be a big adjustment to me but like um, sleep is going to be very much not a, not a thing for a while. And just learning to be adaptable with that. And like, you have to run when you have the time. So Mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, I'm going to go for a run at 9am. I'll meet you there. It's like, oh, I suddenly have an hour window now I'm going to go. And so I think just being even more adaptable, um, and knowing that It's gonna go down the priority list, you know. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like oh, I've gotta. Because sometimes I plan my day around like okay, I'm gonna do my workout at this time, and then (laughs) I'm gonna eat lunch, and that's gonna all go away from you know what it what it sounds like. And I think that's okay. It's gonna be an adjustment, Um, but it'll definitely be I think helpful in the long run for just being adaptable. And then the other thing is just you know nobody's body responds the same way, so just being really just aware and not having expectations of like, you know, I'm going to get back to running by this date or I should be able to, you know, I don't know, race or feel like myself, I think everyone is different. And even with people who've had multiple pregnancies, they've come back differently. And so mm. I'm, I'm just really taking that in of like, okay, you just got to play it by ear and, you know, no, like I'm in it for the long game. I'm not just mm. trying to like, you know, blast out some good results in the next couple of years. Yeah. So I'm just going to be patient.
0: Well, good. Yeah. I think that's a, another, maybe something that comes from, hard times as well, right? When we're injured and then we start like putting things on the calendar of when we <laughs> think we're going to be healthier again, when we think we're going to be able to perform well again. And then we sort of get close to that and we understand that that's not going to happen. And it causes other, you know, sort of like a feedback loop of, of sadness and disappointment yeah. when, when we aren't able to do that. It, I think, uh, approaching it with flexibility, uh, will be, uh, yeah, will hopefully lead to, you, uh, yeah, c- yeah, coming back as quickly as possible and, and also coming back balanced and strong as a good mother, as a good athlete without compromising either of those priorities. So
1: Right, and I think it'll be easier than coming back from an injury because it's course. a very positive, a positive thing, thing, you know? Yeah. It's not like you're just sitting at home twiddling your thumbs, like yeah. scrolling through Instagram, like, ah, I can't run. It's like you've got something really happy.
0: Dude, that's so, so awesome. <laughs> I'm just... Smiling from ear to ear for those. Oh, who are. me too. <laughs> and, uh, and and part of that is because I saw Soren walk behind you with a shoe in his mouth, so you might be. Yeah, uh, picking he's up like the he's like
1: giving me a hint, like, hey, <laughs> are you gonna to go me. for a walk?
0: <laughs> a few more minutes, Soren. So to uh, to move on to um, other topics, I think this goes into everything we've been talking about of just being multidimensional and having different parts of your personality dedicated to different interests that you have. And obviously you're an athlete, you're going to be a mom, you're a nutritionist, you're a coach. Um, and then two other things that I think are, are really interesting um, that we haven't talked about is you one is uh, your work with Protect Our Winners. We'll talk about that first and then we'll finish by talking about uh, Threshold Expeditions, which is something else that you announced recently that I think is really a great idea and that I want to learn more about. Uh, but first with with Protect Our Winners, um, can you describe for the listeners sort of what that organization is uh, and what your role is and sort of what the philosophy and, and the purpose is behind it? Yeah,
1: Protect Our Winters was started by Jeremy Jones and he he's a snowboarder and was just noticing um, the changes in climate were really impacting his winter, and he, you know, he was a professional athlete. I mean, he still is, and he just wanted to do something about it because I think as athletes, we sometimes feel like we we want to take action, but we don't always know how. And so he started Protect Our Winters as a nonprofit to um, start, I guess, spreading the news about how our, how climate was impacting the changes in climate. were impacting our ability as athletes, and just just. You know, people who enjoy the outdoors to get out and recreate, and from there, uh, protect our winters built. These pillars of like, how do we impact climate change? And one of the big ones is, um, well, you athletes using their voices, their personal stories to connect with people, and then to impacting policy. And that's where the action comes in. And I think Protect Our Winter stands out compared to other organizations really targeting climate is that they go for the big hitters because we can do as much as we can in our personal lives like recycle drive less eat less meat but honestly the impacts on the overall issue are so small mm-hmm. so we have to go after um, the the fossil fuels industries and to do that we need to elect officials into office who are going to put bills and legislature into place to protect our earth and so that's really what protect our winters their their goal is is um, to to get that Um, information out. And a lot of the athletes and Alliance members um, do things like lobby in Washington, D.C. or at their local capitals and um, do events to raise awareness just to really get the public aware of what's happening and that we need to take action. And so for me, um, the I got involved right after the the um election, the presidential election, <laughs> I felt lost, absolutely yeah. lost and devastated. And mm-hmm. I needed to do something rather than just talking about it. So I, I got involved with Protector Winters, you know, started learning about, okay, what does it even mean to lobby? You know, what are these policies? And um Protector Winters has a few different chapters. They have their snow chapter, um, their climb, and then they also have a trail. Um, chapter and that's a newer kind of um, development because it started in winter sports, but we realize like trail runners and mountain backers, they want to protect our. We want to protect our trails as well, and so my role there is to really facilitate the trail team and the campaigns really aimed at um, trail athletes or just outdoor enthusiasts who enjoy enjoy recreating in the outdoors and, um, promote campaigns. And right now the big push is to get out and vote. Um, because we know the outdoor state has 50 million people, which is bigger than any swing state. So So, so
0: explain that because I think it's a genius message, right? This concept of the outdoor state, explain that for people. Yeah.
1: So there are approximately 50 million people who recreate in the outdoors, whether that be fishing, hiking, skiing, biking, who just use public lands or protected lands. And those people across the United States, if we all leverage this um, you know, desire and love for the land and vote to protect our climate or to protect our earth, we're, we're a bigger swing state than anyone else. We can make impact, we can make change. And so we're really trying to leverage that of like making people understand that their vote matters. Even if you aren't in a, you know, a battleground state, this outdoor state that we have, we are powerful.
0: Yeah. I, again, I think it's such a, a great way to kind of explain the, the lobbying and influence power that our community has, right? Like being able to conceptualize this big global network of outdoor enthusiasts as like, who typically are high energy, high achieving, high moral, you know, high quality people and focusing that energy in a way that will be productive politically in a way that, as you said, will have impact on what we're clearly facing um, in terms of the, the environment and the climate. And uh, I think it's really cool that, you know, you dedicate so much of your time doing that. And um, the, for, for people who aren't as aware of Protect Our Winters and um, may want to get involved, is the best thing to do to just visit the website and, and encourage their friends to vote, maybe donate? What are some things they can yeah, do? Yeah,
1: right now, I mean, visit the website, protectourwinters.org. Um, there's so many tools on there. The number one thing we can do right now is is vote and there's a tool right on the front page called make a plan to vote and it's, it's just a plethora of information to pass on to friends family whomever that kind of runs you through like okay are you registered to vote do you know how to get your absentee ballot? Because certain states you have to request it by a certain time, it gives you the deadlines and just make sure that you're all dialed in. So like when time to vote comes that you're able to, to execute. Yeah. Um, but there's there's tons of information on there. Um, otherwise, anyone can email me, stephanie at protectourwinters.org, um, actually .com. And I can uh, I can help connect you and give you resources.
0: That's that's so cool. Well, thanks for sharing. And yeah, as they say, make make a damn plan is is kind of the the (laughs) tagline. The tagline, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. So we can all be prepared. Um, And I want to learn more about again this thing um, called thresholded expeditions that you've recently launched, and that I think is is totally genius. Of course, it's a difficult time to. You know, start businesses and yeah. especially sort of, kind of like event, event based, or I guess it's not really event based. But why don't you go ahead and explain what yeah. it is? And why yeah, you're it, about it's it. really
1: exciting. And yeah, starting a business, especially a travel business in a pandemic, isn't the easiest. But we've adapted, um, and it, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the future of, of Threshold. But Um, Just to give you a little background, this has been kind of a plan in the works for almost two years now. And this company um, was started by four women, myself and Liza Howard, who a lot of runners know, um, are kind of the two athletes. And then the other two women um, live... in uh, Alabama. And we've just connected with them kind of randomly through coaching nutrition, and they are more on the business side of things. And so we've just been talking about how we can bring this love for travel and love for running and combine them because there's a lot of running camps out there, but they're kind of focused on like training and performance and not so much like taking in the the culture and the beauty of, a like a really beautiful destination. And so we wanted to be different. And I mean, we're an all women founded company, which is pretty cool. And our goal is to curate these trips that combine luxury, um, stunning running trails and adventure. And when we, when we kind of built these trips, we picked locations that we thought would be really great for all levels of running, definitely going to challenge people, but just have like really renowned trails or culture or history. And then combining that with luxury accommodations, because I think that's, that's a piece that's missing from this, this travel and running scene is that, yeah, you go and you might stay at like, an okay place but sometimes people just really want to have a vacation where they can just relax and enjoy and have good food and wine so the purpose of these trips is not to have like a training camp you're going to run 100 miles but to have this really great experience meet some cool people have some really good wine really good food and stay in really nice um, luxurious accommodations and we're we're um adapting as things unfold so we had to cancel our first trip which was supposed to be this fall Mm -hmm. but we're launching our first trip in March which is actually like it's really cool because it's a it's a shorter trip and we kind of divided our trips into different categories we have like endurance adventure we have inspiration and culture we have justice and action and so this trip is is about justice and action and it's a relay um from Selma to Montgomery Alabama and just like really taking in the rich history, um, inspired by like some of the leaders like John Lewis. And yep. so it's not going to just be about running. It's going to be a really cool, like cultural experience. And then we're going to follow that up with a, a trip to Santa Fe in June um, and stay at the Four Seasons and run some incredible <laughs> trails. So yeah, it's, it's a, a really exciting new chapter for me. Like I said, I'm on the I'm I'm actually the nutrition. Um, I forget what my exact title was. It's like nutrition and adventure curator. So I'm <laughs> designing great title.
0: Great title.
1: <laughs> I'm designing all the food um and just the you know the relaxation and Liza's um Liza Howard is kind of um, leading the trail runs, but we've got Mm -hmm. like a really great balance.
0: That's so cool. And I, again, like, I think it's such a good idea that fits in a a sort of part of the, um, camp and, run experience market that isn't really occupied at this time. And certainly something that, that speaks to me as somebody who uh, likes to stay in nice hotels and likes my adventures, both savage and sophisticated at the same time. And Harmony and I think it's a, it's a fantastic idea. We'd love to join you on one. If we
1: would possible. love to have you in harmony. Yeah. We've got one coming up in Silverton. That might be perfect. That would be um, you can go train for hard rock and she can drink wine with me.
0: That would be, that would be excellent. So I'll put links to all this stuff in the, in the show notes for, for people to find it. Um, but uh, yeah, good to know that that, that first one's coming up in March and hopefully, you know, the, the condition of the world will be such to where, you can have, uh, you know, unimpeded, uh, retreats going on, uh, in, in the future. So we shall see. Well, Steph, it's been so great to chat with you. Um, and again, I really appreciate your honesty and candor and willingness to, to sort of get real about harder stuff. Um, and to close, you know, since we didn't touch specifically on your career broadly, you know, I've, I've personally seen you win Western States. I saw you break the course record at Lake Sonoma and it's silly fast time that still stands to this day. I've also seen you in tears at UTMB, you know, just powering through a vision quest well below your standards. I've seen you injured. Um, and Of course we all have our highs and lows in our career, but we've both mm-hmm. been in the sport a long time. And, I think have the ability to kind of bestow some knowledge on the next generation. So just to close out, what are, just looking back on your career, what are some of the things that you think you did really well as you were coming up in the sport? And what are maybe one or two things that you look back on that you wish you would have done a little bit differently?
1: Yeah, I think I I was given again, good advice. I was a sponge when I first got into the sport. Um, mostly by uh, Megan Laws, who is also a teammate of ours and Mm -hmm. has just been running ultras for years and years, just get into it slowly. And so I didn't do my first 100 miler until I was four or five years into the sport and really kind of had had a handle on like what ultra running was and like how to, you know, fuel well and train. And so I think that was something I did really well. I kind of played like looked at it as the long game, you know, I don't need to get into it and do everything all at once, mm-hmm. but just take your time and, and build up slowly. And the other thing is just kind of taking advice from people around me. And I, I don't mean like crowdsourcing, like, oh, what kind of hydration do you need? Or yeah. like what, you know, because that can be a little bit dangerous, but just paying attention to people who are successful and, and just kind of like noticing their habits, their personality. And one person I really draw from is um, Roy Basio, who's one of my best friends. And she just has this attitude. Like she just doesn't care. <laughs> she doesn't care what anyone thinks. She loves running. She'll just go run because she wants to, you know, push herself and like run up mountains. And like when she doesn't want to, she won't. And I think, you know, noticing those habits of like successful people have been really helpful and mm-hmm. and good for me. Um, the things, and I still struggle with this. I'm I'm a type triple A personality is what my mom would say. And I'm very hard on myself. And to my detriment, sometimes, you know, I can get really down or disappointed when I think I underperform in any area of my life. And that's just not a healthy state to be in, you know, like, I always try my best. And even if it's not like the best I've ever done, that's okay. And so I I work on that. But it's, it's definitely a work in progress.
0: Wow. What a great place to to end. I think it's another really great lesson. Yeah. It's just like oftentimes athletes are so critical and they, yeah, they attach way too much of their self-worth into their ability to beat other people in arbitrary foot races. And yeah, I think we we can all work on that. And um, yeah, I think that's good advice for, for the next generation. So Steph, It's so great to see you. So great to sit and chat. Uh, Hopefully the next time it won't be through this digital interface, but I appreciate you sitting down with us and uh, good luck with uh, all the wonderful things that you have coming up in your future.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on Dylan. This was a pleasure. Um, So happy to chat with you and share some of this news. I'm I'm really looking forward to um, the next year.
0: Heck yeah. Well, thank you, Steph. (laughs) Thanks again to Stephanie. I hope you guys all really enjoyed and appreciated that. Uh, Stephanie is just so great, man. I'm so, so happy um, you know, to, to have her as a friend and she's really just somebody I, I really look up to in the sport and I have for a long time. And I think it was really uh, useful for all of us to be able to get her perspective on some of that important stuff that we all deal with in life to one degree or another. If you enjoyed the show, throw Steph some love, give her a shout, a follow, a thank you on Instagram. You can find a link in the show notes. I also linked to a bunch of other stuff, including Steph's nutrition business, Protect Our Winters, her coaching, and uh, Threshold Expeditions, which again, I think is just a, a really great idea. So check all those things out. As always, I would be very appreciative, if you don't mind throwing me some love on, uh, you know, these podcast platforms with ratings and or reviews. If you can spare a minute, I'd be super appreciative. Share it with a friend um, and keep listening. Always really, really appreciate, um, you know, to get the feedback that we do and, and just to have people listening. It, it makes this whole project super fun and fulfilling for me. I got some more good stuff coming up very soon, so uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Okay, bye.